All right, Justin here with Stay at Home Dads Podcast. Welcome to the show. Welcome to this place I talk about a lot of different topics involving my kids and my family, as well as a lot of guy stuff and other random things that I find interesting. And speaking of random things that I find interesting, that's what we're talking about today. I invited my good friend TJ back to the show. If you remember, he was on a few months ago. He's the guy that has a guide service up in northern Minnesota for fishing and for hunting. Well, he comes back on and we get into quite the unintended conversation about fishing and sustainability and even overfishing of some of these lakes in Minnesota. We kind of take a deep dive on all that stuff. I know, kind of a narrow topic if you're not really into fishing or the lake life, so to speak, but we still had a nice conversation nonetheless. So let's go ahead and just jump right in to our discussion. All right, I'm back with my good friend TJ on the show. He was here, what, a couple months ago, back in October, November. We talked about your guide service. We talked about really terrible, shitty clients, and we talked about a lot of other stuff. So welcome back. Thanks for uh, coming back on here with me. Thank you for having me back on. Yeah. Now, last time we dove into your business and the guide stuff and kind of doing what you love and working. How is all that kind of going, by the way? Or, you know, we talked before we got on here and you're in the off season now, you're kind of the slow time of year. Are you doing any ice fishing? Are you getting into any of that stuff right now or not really? No, I haven't ice fished at all. Um, The ice fishing has been so poor for everybody because there's just so many people that come up in the winter. Okay. It's, it's not worth my time. You know, the average winter day, there's probably 15 to 20,000 people during the weekday on the lake on the weekends we're pushing 50,000 people a day on the, the lake. So it's just, it's too many people. Wow. Really? That, that many on the ice oh, fishing, yeah. every resort's full, everything, every guide service is just jammed and, and there's the, no, no space to fish or what? No, it's just, there's so many people fishing that it's removing the fish. It's okay. getting fished up, which is why the summer I had to drive 35 miles each way to find fish. Holy. You would never think that. I mean, that lake is very large. We're talking Lake of the Woods here. It's very large, but a million I mean, acres, just like anything else, you get a bunch of people on there and they're all taking their limits and it's bound to happen eventually. Do you think they'll adjust? Uh, well, here's the thing. The limits are, um, no, they have, I mean, if here, we used to go out and we could catch six auger a day. That was our right. limits. for a while. It was uh, six wall, eight saugers. And then they dropped it to four and four or all eight could be saugers. And then they dropped it to a limit of six. I think that's what we're at now. Total. All six could be sauger, but no more. Yeah. But no more than four can be walleye. So like it's been consistently dropping, but the fishing pressure is still going up. And, and the DNR has got, they've got no desire to be honest about it. I did the math here the other day. I'll do it right here. While I'm talking to you because okay. uh, I, I can. So the DNR claimed 2019. I'm going to use this number just because I, I know how much Adrian's resort reported in road access fees. So just to drive your own self out onto the lake, they were charging $10 per vehicle, whether you're pulling your fish house or not. So last year they did it without charging per axle besides the vehicle. Okay. Now it's $5 okay. per axle after your $15 road fee for just your vehicle. So then it was $10. They reported $1.6 million in road fees that they took. One resort, one road. And at that's 10, only one at 10 bucks a pop, right? $10 a pop. So if I divide that by $10, 
that's 160,000 vehicles went out of there. The DNR from their Creel surveys have come to the average that there is four people per fish house or per vehicle that go on the lake average. Okay. So if I multiply that 160,000 vehicles by four, well, there's 640,000 people that went out of one resort access, one winter. Now the DNR says the average person ice fishes eight hours a day. They average out based on the people that go out and just fish a couple hours and the people who stay out in their wheelhouses, you know, and have a line in the water constantly. Okay. If I take that 640,000 people and I multiply it by eight hours, eight angling hours, that's 5,120,000 angling hours off that road that winter. DNR claims that the entire lake had 2.6 million angling hours in 2019, the winter of 2018, 2019. Well, that's an underestimation by your numbers that's anyways, in one resort. Math yeah. Based on road fees, I can come up to that. So... When Amy and I looked into buying Morris Point in 2020, so their 2020, 2021 ice season, the DNR reported Lake of the Woods had 2.7 million angling hours that winter. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got the portfolio. I know exactly how much reported. They reported $740,000 in road fees. Morris Point was charging $15 a vehicle. And at the time, that was your average because it was $10 for a vehicle, $5 an axle. You have dual axles, single axles, people going without. So we'll use a $15 average. So we'll just assume the average person has a pickup or whatever and a single axle fish house they're pulling out. That way we get a solid average. So if I take that 740,000 and I divide it by $15, that's 49,333 vehicles. All right, so I'll do the same math, where I multiply it by the four people, that's 197,333 people. And if I do the eight hour average fishing, that's 1,578,666 hours, ice fishing hours right. off one resort. Lying in the water hours fishing. Yeah, lying in the waters. In fact, probably the fourth largest road access on the lake behind Adrian's Zippo Long Point would probably then be Morris. <laughs> so you can't tell me that over half, almost two-thirds, of all angling hours came off one road off that one road. Right. When Adrian's has three to four times as many people going on. Oh, actually, I forgot about Wigwam road too. Wigwam's probably number two now. So these guys are probably the fifth largest. And then there's also the, the other access points that are not checked or not paid or right. Is, is there access? I mean, oh, snowmobile no, no. Ice, okay, ice so, access and driving up a river. Yeah, there's so there's the people who take the snowmobiles or take ATVs out off public accesses. But there's, um, you know, you got Adrian's Road people go out on that's plowed and maintained. Mm-hmm. You've got the Wigwams, their road that's plowed and maintained. Uh, the road that we, we're used through Wheeler's Point, Borderview, Rainy River Resort, does not have public access other than Borderview is doing wheelhouse placement by appointment. It's not just you go pay your $15 road fee and you can go drive out. You got to make an appointment, schedule a spot for them. So it's not going to be big. Okay. And then you have uh, Cyrus Resort, Bugsy's on Bostick. Um, Sweets Resort, they all have their own little ice roads that come out. You've got Long Point, Zipple Bay. You, thankfully, he's no longer Babblers or Dales. He doesn't plow it anymore. But then there's plowed out of Swift Ditch, then plowed out of Spring Steel. And then there's uh, oh, Jake's Isominiums. He's got a road. But, you know, there, there's a dozen roads basically mm-hmm. plowed out on the lake. It, it, it's not hard to get out. Uh, if you look at the graphs, this is funny because the DNR talks like this big game saying, that 
the the lake is is doing okay. And this year's report they talked about <clears throat> was actually the lowest net surveys I had. So it was their worst netting surveys they've had, but their average fish they caught was eight to 10 inches. And then that, that made up like 92% of their, their bulk of what they caught in their net survey. And then like 5% of it was uh, 24 to, to 26 inch fish. And then everything else encompassed the rest. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a pretty small percentage of eater class fish or over 26 inch fish. And then the majority is these little fish. So the DNR goes, oh, we get these up and coming lake uh, or classes of fish in the lake. So that's going to be good for the lake's health and future of the fishery. Well, let's look at some facts here. Big fish eat them. Walleye are extremely cannibalistic. People blame the burbot all the time. It's like, oh, the burbot are eating the walleye. They eat some, yeah, but their main food is crayfish. A walleye, once it gets to be about 24, 25 inches, main food is walleye. They eat themselves. It just just like fish. Yeah. It doesn't care. The closest thing to it, the least amount of effort, is usually another walleye because you don't get fat by being ambitious, you know? Uh, perch, same thing. Once a perch gets to be right around that 10 inch size, it becomes almost purely a cannibal. They'll eat bugs and you know worms and stuff too, but they mainly eat perch. That's why you fish for a perch with perch colored lures. I mean, yeah, it's opportunity. They are eating what is in front of them or what they're able to get. It doesn't really matter, right? Yeah. And with, with the way that it is in Minnesota, not all states are this way, but uh, Minnesota's DNR is almost entirely funded by license sales, tag sales, and tickets given. Well, they've had the three largest budgets they've ever had the past three years. They're loving this, the, the amount of licenses, because fishing is uh, just, it's booming. Right. It's you about know, money. Fishing. Yeah. They're making a ton of money off licenses and everything else, right? Yep. So, so they want to keep those sales going. So when they uh, put out their reports and they talk about Lakes Health, where they will put the graphs out there, and when they put the graphs out there, just look at the graphs. Do not listen to a fucking thing they say, because everything they say is bullshit. Because they'll, they'll tell you the lake's doing great, here's what they're seeing. Well, then you look at the graph. And uh, 2016 is the only high point we've had in 20 years. They started uh, yearly. They've net surveyed off and on throughout the years, but they started nearly net, yearly net serving in 2002. Net surveying. There we go. Okay. Since 2002, <clears throat> we are at the lowest net survey ever. Every single year since 2002, has been going slightly down at, at a steady decline, except for 2016, it shot up. And 2016 was a great ice fishing year, a great open water fishing year, and then it tanked. And it's been on a steady decline since. And the problem really is convenience. The, when we were kids, there wasn't a whole lot of places you could drive out in the lake in the winter. You know, it had right. to take snowmobile out. Yes. Or uh, Zippo Bay had a, a small area plowed out, Long Point had a small area plowed out. Adrian's Road was basically a sheep trail out across the lake just across the Pine Island on the other side. It didn't go out 20 miles. You know, it just went out like a mile, maybe two. It wasn't much. It wasn't like people were charged to use it or anything like that. Now everybody's got these these highways and literally there are highways that are 75 feet wide going across the lake. Plowed, and nice, easy to kick yeah, your car you see, out there, you know. You literally see Toyota Priuses out on the lake. Like when we were kids, that shit didn't happen, you know? No. No. So everybody's got these wheelhouses now and, and manufactured portable fish houses. If we we're a kid, if we wanted a portable for the most part, we built it. Three right. sheets of plywood at a target. Yep. It was a tent with a freaking hole cut in the bottom, like pretty yep. crude. Literally. And then uh, if you had a permanent house, it was a homemade skid house. You know, you needed a trailer to get it from your house to the lake and the lake to the house. And yep. some way to cross lake. Tilt your trailer, shove it off. And it's literally a shed with holes in the floor. Yes. 
And now it's, you got a camper. It's an RV that lowers to the ice. Mm-hmm. It's got all the amenities at home. And uh, we as a species are lazy. Yeah. Yeah. We like our comfort. Yeah. And that's what these people want. So it's like, oh, look, this is a great way to spend time with family, which I agree it is. But at the same token, that's what's causing the decline of our lake. It's easy now to go to your local shields or whatever and go pick up a, a double hub full thermal or a single hub full thermal pop-up fish house that sets up in two seconds. Yeah. Tears down in a minute. And you throw a heater in there and it stays plenty warm. I've got one. Uh, the wheelhouse, it's easy just to hook up your truck, drive out there, lower it, drill your holes, hook generator up, you're fishing. Yeah. Put and your satellite you dish up, watch TV, <clears throat> play some music. Absolutely. What, you know, I mean, like it's, 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 you know, it's like glamping for camping. It's, you know, that's it that is. type of fishing. It's so bougie, I guess. It's not what it once was. And I feel like that's yeah. kind of what fishing was all about at a certain time is, is getting out there and, and setting up this it thing that you built yourself. Stuff. And yeah. And it was, there's some more pride in it than just going and buying. Don't I mean, for people to argue with, but that's how I think it yeah, is. And if you look at the graph, the increase of those manufactured portable houses kind of started it in the, on the nineties, it started, to, to go up and the fishing kind of started to take that little drive. Right? Okay. But it was kind of a flat, like it's just more flattened off than anything as far as the, the amount of fish being served. But, but once the wheelhouses gained traction like, and they, they skyrocketed in popularity, the fishing has just went down, just boom, you know, bombing out. And it's a hundred percent that. Can you, I, on, um, do they clip um, fish? Do they, I mean, how they do like things in the ocean? Do they, can you tell a female from a male? Can you, I mean, is there ways to like I mark fish? Their tails. Is that how it is? Or like, I mean, is there, is there any reason why they don't say clip a fin and re-release it? So, oh, that's a breeding female. Let her go, you know? Yeah. Actually, one of our little kids, when we used to mark our perch, we'd cut their fins. Right. You cut a little fin. Cut a little nick yeah, out of the fin. Yeah, that now. What? No, um, yeah, we can't do that. Oh, I would think that would be um, a a wise way to at least track like, oh, I I mean, I've seen it with lobsters and I granted a crustacean is different. They put that little triangle. They notch the fin. It's got a bunch of eggs on it. They throw it back because that's a a prime breeding female. Where where the problem comes, it's it's a double-edged sword because you got these people with fish and you get plenty of people who are like, oh, yeah, we're just catch and release, which sounds great on paper. Right. Studies have been done at 25 feet of water. There's an 80% mortality rate. Oh, by pulling so, that fish up and that fish. Yeah, dying does, you can't reel slow enough. I actually had a discussion with the guy. He seemed to get a little pissy with me. So I, I showed him actual studies on my phone. I'm like, it's not hard to look them up. You can see like, here you go. You know, you cannot reel fish up slow enough or walleye, you know, uh, salmonoids. So like trout, tulby, white fish, they can burp. Their body automatically adjusts to the pressure and they can burp it out. Walleye, perch, crappie, northern can't do that. Okay, it's a like for them. It's 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 a voluntary action to adjust. Whereas the people are fishing the salmonoid families, it's an involuntary action. Their bodies just do it. Okay, so like walleye, especially if you got live scope, and say you're jigging it up and you pull your your jig ten feet off the bottom and it's following it and then it launches up quick. It's adjusting at that same time voluntarily because it it knows it's about to make this hit, so it has to adjust its body pressure. Right. When it's fighting, all that goes out the window because the only thing on its its little primitive mind is survival, get away. So it, it's digging, trying to go to the bottom. That the whole thing was go to the bottom. 
So it's not adjusting. So you cannot physically reel them up slow enough because they're, they're not coming up on their own free will. So when you're at that 25 feet, if you catch 10 fish, eight of them are dead. doesn't matter how they look, how they swim away. You let it go, it not. swims away, but it's more it's, than it's likely dead. there's a high percentage that it's going to belly up and then be some other fish's food at some point. Yeah, it, it, usually it'll die anywhere from 48 to uh, about 96 hours, you know, basically two to five days roughly is when they'll die. Okay. And people will be like, oh, yeah, the eyes weren't bulging. The throat wasn't out. It was fine. Yeah, that's just symptoms. It's like if you have a cold, mm-hmm. a cough is a symptom. A fever is a symptom. A stuffy nose is a symptom. You don't necessarily have all of those when you have a cold. Mm-hmm. So these mm-hmm. fish suffering barotrauma, their nerves in their body will literally explode. Their like, capillaries and blood vessels will literally explode inside their bodies. You don't see that happening when you pull them up, you look at them. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much damage going on in their body that you can never see besides just the eyeballs bulging out of the throat, sticking out, blown out. So these fish swim away looking great and they die a week later. Um, and as you get deeper, the percentage of barotrauma goes up. Like at 30 feet of water, you're basically at 99.9% death rate. Wow. And that's pretty much where it flat lines out because you'll never get where it's 100% because you're always going to get that anomaly. Um. I, I wish I still had the the post. There's a kid that I, I was talking to, one of my fishing uh, things, the bulldog trauma, that he's going to school to be a marine biologist to work hopefully for the DNR with their biology department. And uh, they did a tagging program and they did it in intervals of depths starting at, at 10 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet, 25, 30, 35 feet of water. And through his studies, um, everything at 10 feet, 15 feet survived. At, at 20 feet, a couple of them died anyways. Mm-hmm. Some percentage the majority, of his of majority his survived. At 25 feet, they had a 90% death rate in their study. At 30 feet, they had a 100% death rate. At 35 feet, they had one live. <laughs> so from 25 feet, they, they had almost all of them die at 25 feet. Yeah. At 30 feet, 100% died. At 35 feet, one lived. The one lived was a six-inch female walleye. The only one that lived was one six-incher. And they radio tagged these fish. So, you know, the, the radio tags, they monitor the heart rates, whatever these fish. So when they died, heart rate stops. Movement of the fish stops. Okay. They can tell when they died. So his study has shown basically that 25 feet, they had over 90% death rate. He's so like, even... So you're following the, the, the DNR's guides. You, you catch these fish. Oh, it's outside of the slot that the, the keepable, you know, yep. measurement, you throw it back. You're being a good citizen. It's, it's it, a dead fish. It's a dead, probably a decent likelihood that it's a dead fish anyways. Yep. Yep. So like the slots again, it's, <clears throat> it's a feel good measure. It makes and you feel good to say, I let it go to that. I let it grow. And, you does know, the DNR tro- care about this? Does the DNR know about this? DNR I imagine they do. Absolutely. Knows about it. Um, I, I, the study has officially been removed that I had saved on my phone. The, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service did in part of the North Dakota fishing game. And they did their barotrauma studies. And that's where I would quote my numbers from at the 25 feet, the 30 feet, whatever. Unfortunately, they've, they've taken that study down now. But they shared the U.S. did their findings with every state's DNR or Game and Fish Service, Fish and Wildlife stuff like that, so that they're all aware. Like here, Minnesota DNR came out. Um, I said 19 or 2018. 
And they claim that in Lake of the Woods, they don't see any signs of aerodrome until 32 feet of water. They claimed. Now, I call bullshit because I've caught fish in 21 feet of water that floated. Mm-hmm. So they're claiming this. And I was like, why the hell would they say that to look into some things? Do you know the average depth in the U.S. portion of the Lake of the Woods is 32 feet? I did not. Now you do. Average depth of Lake of the Woods in the U.S. portion is 32 feet of water. And they said so that, that means it's average depth people fish Lake of the Woods in the ice, especially the ice season, is 32 feet of water. So to make it seem okay that you're fishing it, of course the DNR is now going to say, oh, yeah, we don't see any bear trauma until deeper than 32 feet of water. <laughs> That's convenient. Yeah. And not worrying. Right. Yes. It's this, this is like their cash cow. Now the way that it used to be Malax Lake was the DNR's cash cow. Cause it was, you know, an hour, hour and 10 minutes from the cities. Right. Well, so then they managed that to the point that it's shot. You go there and, you know, if you catch 15 fish a day between two people on a Malax Lake, it's a really good day of fishing. And most of that is nighttime fishing. And what you're catching there is a lot of 26, 27 inch fish, really skinny. Really? 26, 27, because they manage it to be a trophy lake to draw more people. Oh, you got a good chance of catching a trophy walleye. Let's go fish there. Let's buy a license to fish there. So now you you protect the fish that are the cannibals, which is what they're doing here too. So they're eating themselves. Yeah. But by bragging the quality of fish, like the size you catch, now you're attracting fishermen who want to catch these. So you're attracting more fishermen to catch these fish and you're protecting those fish so that they're eating more of the smaller up and coming fish, reducing the overall biomass because the smaller ones are no longer in numbers because the main fish that's left in the lake is a big cannibal sized fish. <laughs> it's like, you want to get something out of balance? Look at the way the Minnesota DNR runs the, their lakes. They're protecting things and they're doing it here. I mean, our slot 19 and a half to 28. Why can't we keep I mean, when we were kids? There was no slot. Keep where the fuck you wanted. And it was fine. Fishing was great. And now there's a protected slot, 19 and a half to 28. Once you get that 24 inch size, they're almost only eating walleye. It, and they, they're probably doing it, I'm guessing, well, for other reasons, but they're probably thinking, or people are thinking the way I was thinking. And like, oh, big, big 24 inch female egg full of eggs breeder. That's the logic. But in reality, it it's like get get rid of some of those, and then let the 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 six inch fish, the four inch fish, the ten inch fish, come up into, you know, bigger fish. Yeah, and, and I mean that that is kind of what their their claim was that we're protecting the breeders, right? Because right. that that twenty five, twenty six inch, twenty four inch female has you know twice the eggs of a seventeen inch female, or four times the, egg. and so that makes sense, but. Like any species, you got to manage their size and you got to manage everything. You can't just protect that. A of that, you know, instead of our, our one over 28, why, why aren't we allowed to say like two of them from 19 and a half, one over 28? Right. Spread it's the load a, out a little bit. Yeah. Because they're, they're still good eating up 24 inch fish, still tastes just fine. Yeah. And, and why do we only have, have only one over 28? Uh, once you get to that age, those fish are. First off, at the end of their lives, mm-hmm. if you catch a 28 to, to 30 plus inch walleye out of Lake of the Woods, it, it's got, you know, a couple of years of life left at most. That's an old fish though, right? Yeah, it, it's an old fish. Um, 
their eggs, yeah, sure, they've got a ton of eggs, but their viability is extremely low. So if they have a million eggs, probably 900,000 of them are infertile. Right. It's very low viability. So like all you're doing now is protecting a pretty much pure cannibal. Right. That's eating itself. Point. And then it's, it's literally chasing its own tail and it's yeah, like in, it, it in, has the, in the realm eggs. of it's the species. Yep. It's, it's basically like itself. it lays eggs and the low percentage of eggs that it lays that are, are viable hatch. Uh, and there's such a low percentage. I, I think they say it's one out of every hundred thousand eggs actually survives to adulthood. Huh. So, you know, if they do hatch, there, there's there's some serious imbalance going on. And anyone who's looking at it from a conservation standpoint sees it. Anyone who's looking at it from a financial standpoint ignores it. And, and if you look on Lake Woods fishing page, people have been asking, how's fishing? How's fishing? And there's so many people that are starting to say, if you listen to the guides, it's great. But you hear it's not. And it, it's true. Like... Last night, I talked to a group of guys. Uh, they wouldn't tell me how many fish they caught. They said they did really good. They almost kept five limits and four bonus perch. Um, the biggest they caught was a 21. They kept an 18. Everything else was like 15s and smaller. So I'm not sure how many they caught. They talked like it was pretty decent. Up until that group last night, the most that anyone of the fish houses wheelie points had since they opened has caught 22 fish in one day. That Out of a, for like, a whole group of what four or five, six people. For that, it was two people. Okay. Son, they caught twenty-two fish. Twenty-two fish between two people. Some lakes, that's great. The Lake of the Woods standards. Twenty-two fish, like one person, one day is slow, like really slow. I don't know how many hundred plus fish days I've had in my life where I've caught over a hundred plus fish. You know. Wow. Days where two of us caught three hundred fifty plus fish. So. <clears throat> that's what Lake of the Woods is capable of. And, you know, let's say a 50 fish a day person or a 50, yeah, 50 fish person day on Lake of the Woods is kind of what the norm was. You know, mm. and that, that was a low norm because usually 100 fish a day was pretty common. Now you catch 10 fish a person a day. It's a good day. What the fuck? That no. And those 10 fish are eight to 10 inches. I mean, if you, yeah, think. If you fish the average, what was the average line in the water time? Eight, eight and a half hours. Eight hours. Eight so, hours a day is what the average. And you're catching. Yeah, that's you catch twenty fish per per. You know, that's whatever the math is. But it's not. It's slow fishing. Like I'm saying, it's slow. It's very slow fishing. Yeah. And uh, you know, with all these DNR numbers, uh, people are like, "Oh, it's, it's the charters running out there. It's the summer fishing because it's so easy to get out and move around." And I'm not going to say that doesn't play a part, but. Since commercial fishing stopped on Lake of the Woods in 1984, DNR uh, monitors the, the angling hours as well in the summertime for open water fishing. It has statistically not changed the amount of pressure on this lake from 1984 till now, other than this past summer had the lowest angling hours since 1984. We had the lowest from average. recorded hours? Yeah, for open, open water angling. Okay. So it, it hovers in the 600 to 640,000 angling hours a summer. Or okay. open water season. This year we were below over five hundred and some thousand. And you know, high water is a big reason why. Since we were flooded all summer long. Hmm. So that, that kept people back. And of course, you know, the five dollar gallon gasoline didn't help any either. Right. And then the so and then the winter fishing hours were what you told me earlier. They were yeah. So last year it was two point nine million angling hours that the DNR claimed. Right. Year before it was two point seven, year before it was two point six, year before that was two point four. Yeah, it's people steadily. say summertime is overfishing the lake and not the wintertime. Yeah. 
And they say because in the summer you're more mobile, it's easier to cover water, which I agree it is, and you are. But there's so much less hooks being used, you know, so many less people doing it. So what are the takeaways here? I believe that this is an issue that's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger over time. That's what I really think. We have to think of conservation more than just the oceans and, I don't know, the, the Chinese whaling or buffalo populations in South Dakota or other species that we're causing the decline of. It's not just those big ticket animals that come to mind. It's even this abundant fish species that, honestly, we don't think twice about. Nobody seems to really think about some lake in some state, right? I mean, Minnesota's got 10,000 lakes. What's the problem with one or two or three of them having not that many fish in them? Out of sight, out of mind. And as TJ said, as the means get easier, the amount of stuff we take out increases. And that pressure on that animal goes up. It's just a matter of fact. That's what's going to happen. And sure, management, DNR, they reduce the number that you can take, they reduce your limits, and they do that over years and years. But is that really the answer to long-term sustainability? I don't think it is. And honestly, I don't know what it is. I don't know what the answer is here. We all want to have fun. We all want to enjoy the sport, enjoy the lake activities, eat our fish, and so on. But at some point, sooner or later, People in the right places, people with the right jobs, people with the right amount of power, I guess, need to take note. They need to do more. They need to figure out a plan, maybe do more studies and definitely change the focus from profit and turn it towards conservation, turn it towards helping that species or that environment. Anyways, that's all I have for today's episode of Stay at Home Dad's podcast. Maybe send an email out to your local DNR office. Maybe send one to your local state representative and just ask some questions, especially if you see a problem in your area. It doesn't matter where you live. If you notice something like this, maybe just send an email out. Put it on their radar so they know about it or kind of pester them about it, like TJ said. Did he say that? I think he did. Also, please tune in next week, and I have another conversation with TJ and it's about something a lot more personal than fishing and lake life. So I hope you guys all look forward to that. It's a good show. We have a really good conversation. So anyways, thank you for listening, and I will talk to you all next week.